2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to get into this question. You know, is it time for uh, Joe Biden to restore Jackie Kennedy's rose garden? It's, you know, I actually have a take on that. And I think it's, it's going to be a whole lot more in-depth than you think. Is hate and violence becoming normal in America? I'll get into that in just a second. But I want to start with my rant today from hartmanreport.com, which is uh, titled, Is QAnon a Tragedy, a Danger, or a Terrorist Group? And if you've had an experience, a QAnon experience in your family, I'd be fascinated to hear about it. A significant number of these followers, uh, according to a report on NBC News, this was uh, uh, Ben Collins on Rachel Maddow's show saying that basically the end point of QAnon, the, the end of times prophecy that they're leading toward is that Donald Trump will arise again, literally, and become president of the United States and then will send the police forces of the country out to arrest Democrats and there will be mass executions and orgies of killing of Democrats and uh, particularly high profile and elected Democrats. Uh, and, you know, And presumably people like me. And already one believer has murdered two of his children uh, within the QAnon sect, saying that uh, he had to save humanity from them because they had lizard DNA. Now, this isn't really quite as weird as it sounds, a religious cult having uh, you know, end times prophecies associated with them. I refer you to the book of Revelation uh, for all of Christianity. Uh, this is a fairly familiar trope. Uh, there's a there's a similar version of that in Islam. There's a similar version of it in Mormonism You know the white horse prophecy uh, You've got uh, Evangelical Christians who have for years made it a crusade to convert Jews in Israel because they believe that you know In the end times where there's a hundred and forty four thousand Jews who believe in Jesus and all the other Jews in Israel are dead Then Jesus will return right? um this is a in my opinion misreading of revelation but nonetheless they're they're all over it i mean just google it there's a thousand websites devoted to it and 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 that's of course why the republican white evangelicals are so big on supporting israel it's kind of a dog whistle to the crazies there jim jones and david koresh were big proponents of this adolf hitler said in defending myself against the jews i am acting for the lord the difference between the church and me is i am finishing the job right You know, there are similar death cult movements within Sunni Islam, uh, most famously Wahhabism. We saw the effects of of a sect within Wahhabism on 9-11 when we were attacked by Bin Laden and his Wahhabist buddies, uh, you know, on on 9-11 at the World Trade Center. The genocide of the Muslim Rohingya in Myanmar was ginned up on Facebook, but the rationale was they are Muslims and we uh, members of, uh, you know, formerly Burma, now Myanmar, we are all Buddhists. And Buddhism is usually the most peaceful religion, but, you know, hey, they're on the roll. Uh, Lois Beckett over at The Guardian put together a long list of, you know, arrests and threats and violence and things uh, committed by or in the name of QAnon. I won't go through the whole list here on the air, but uh, you can see it at, uh, both at the Guardian and at Tom Harbin, or excuse me, HarbinReport.com. And, you know, all apparently in the name of QAnon, and that doesn't even include the guy who shot up the pizza parlor in D.C., uh, or the fellow who blew himself up at the at and building to stop the lizard people. So why is this happening? Well, one theory is that basically it's the tribe of the mentally ill finding each other quickly and easily because of social media. I think that's a little too glib, Although you do have, you know, the, the, the QAnon shaman at, on January 6th is claiming mental illness. Um, the majority, 68% of the open QAnon followers arrested at the Capitol on January 6th have, quote, have documented mental health concerns according to court records and other public sources, end quote. Those psychological issues include post-traumatic stress disorder, paranoid schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It's Pretty amazing. But again, I I don't think that's really what's going on. I don't think think everybody in QAnon is mentally ill any more than every Christian who believes that Jesus walked on water is mentally ill. Another theory is that QAnon is meeting some sort of deep social or psychological need for people who feel marginalized and that maybe the lockdowns during the uh, COVID uh, pandemic made it even worse. That actually makes some sense to me. Uh, Another theory is that what we're looking at is the power of Facebook's algorithm and their new system of groups, which pushes people, you know, deeper and deeper and deeper into crazy quite rapidly. You'll recall last summer we had uh, uh, white people in small towns from literally from Klamath Falls, Oregon, to Florida, who were showing up. Uh, one particular weekend with with axes and and shovels and shotguns and you know any kind of weapon they could find to stop the buses full of black people that Antifa was sending with money from George Soros and nobody knows where these messages came from they were propagated across Facebook in small-town Facebook sites all over the country and literally thousands of, of white Americans showed up with weapons to take on these black people Uh, That that didn't exist. Was this a foreign government testing our ability to, you know, or their ability to send us into crazy town? Or was this a a QAnon early try? Nobody knows. Facebook a week ago, two weeks ago actually announced that they were banning QAnon, but we saw how well that worked when they banned, you know, the Trumpies and the and the anti-vax people. I'm not optimistic. The FBI has designated QAnon as a terrorist group or a terrorist threat. But, you know, our domestic terrorism laws are really weak. And frankly, I want them that way. Domestic terrorism laws are what are being used by right-wing governments in Hungary, in Turkey, in Russia, right now to go after protesters and progressives. And you could just imagine, you know, a Josh Hawley administration coming after me and you. You've got deprogramming. An old friend of mine used to work with Ted Patrick, the deprogrammer back in the 70s and 80s. Is that going to make a comeback? I mean, what do you do if there's a QAnon member in your family? Uh, It seems like if you just reject them, that that just drives them deeper into the cult. But how do you break them out of it? Is it possible that QAnon is going to go the way of the Seventh-day Adventists or the Salvation Army or the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses and go from being basically an end-days doomsday cult into, you know, a modern mainstream religion? A little eccentric, but modern mainstream religion. Or is it going to evolve more and more in the direction of becoming a political hate group like the Klan? You know, nobody knows. Or, you know, is it going to become a terrorist group, a domestic terrorism group, full-blown? You know, freedom of religion is one of America's top values and deserves respect, but terror groups really have no place in civilized society. So I, I frankly don't have any idea how this is going to shake out. I'm watching it, and I think we all need to watch it. And pay attention to it and take it seriously, particularly when you get, you know, a thousand people showing up to see the reincarnation or the, the, the reappearance of John Kennedy Jr., who's been dead for years down in Dallas. I mean, there's something going on here. Mark Taylor Canfield, you have a report on the Seattle election. Lay it on me.
4: Yeah, I've been writing about this at Daily Coast. Tom. Uh, In Seattle and Martin Luther King County, we have these self-described progressives who faced off with more conservative business business interests. Uh And that was uh, elections throughout the city and the county. Um, Senator Bernie Sanders endorsed Lorena Gonzalez for mayor and Teresa Mosqueda for city council. He also endorsed two candidates for port commissioner. And both of those races are too close to call. Musqueda looks like she's going to win her reelection, but our next mayor is going to be Bruce Harrell, uh, former president of the city council who was bankrolled by major corporate interests. Mm -hmm. He's not really a reformer when it comes to policing, so I doubt the Black Lives Matter demonstrators are going to be very happy about that. Um, The other problem is that we have a city attorney, Ann Davison, who looks like she's going to win. She was a Democrat until just last year when she switched to the Republican Party. Actually, it was the last year of Trump's um, year in office. And she is beating her opponent, opponent Nicole Thomas Kennedy, right now. Uh, and it's looking like we will have Ann Davison as our city attorney. Now, that's really caused a lot of concern among civil rights activists because she's definitely not about police reform. Um, and I think between her and Mayor Harrell... Who is, a, who is a good guy, Tom. I've known him for years, but he's just much more of a centrist than, I think, the, the, the politics of the city. Uh, the city council will remain pretty progressive. Uh, we're going to have a mayor once again, and this is usual for Seattle, who will be, who will be representing large corporations and business interests, real estate developers in the city. We have this mass problem with homelessness um bruce is okay with sweeping homeless and encampments destroying people's property and arresting them for being you know poor basically so i would expect more demonstrations on that issue and on police reform in seattle because it looks like the the goals of the city council are really going to be hampered by a city attorney who's definitely a law and order person and then you also have uh, a mayor who is not going to be very sympathetic to a lot of the demonstrators like we had last year with the massive tear gas that was used during those demonstrations and things. So, yeah. it, you know, Seattle's got this battle between the progressives who tend to be in control, in, in at least on the city council, and these corporate interests, you know, because we are the headquarters for Expedia and Amazon and Starbucks and so many other, Microsoft, so many corporations. And here's the problem, Tom, and it has to do with democracy. And as Executive Director for Democracy Watch News, this is my major concern, According to election officials, only 50% of eligible, eligible voters in Seattle even participated in the election. Only 43% of eligible voters in Martin Luther King Jr. County. So, in these off year elections, when you don't have a president, you know, presidential candidate, there really is a problem, even a very progressive, activist city like Seattle, in getting people out to the polls. I think that's one reason why these corporate interests can bankroll candidates, run smear campaigns against. the the opponent in the city attorney race and scare people into voting for a law and order candidate like Ann Davison. It's really too bad that we have that problem with democracy in the United States. We need much, much more participation in these local elections. Yeah.
3: Here in Portland, we've got a problem with a, a massive homelessness problem, streets smeared with human feces, things like that. That is causing people to turn away from progressive candidates, Mark. Is that the same thing happening in Seattle?
4: I think it had to do with the city count, city attorney's race. It had to do with the fact with that she had made some very, very vociferous anti-police statements in, on her Twitter account, and they used that to smear her as some kind of extremist radical, which I really don't think she is. Yeah, I get it.
3: Mark Taylor Canfield. Mark, thanks a lot. Good talking to you. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today?
5: Mr. Hartman, with your uh, permission, I'd like to use your honorable forum to act as a friend of the court and offer a resolution to the New York gun case presently before the Supreme Court. Okay. Uh, it's based, both uh, parties, based their written briefs and some of their arguments orally on the 1328 Statute of Northampton, part of the court's uh, instruction to observe the uh, whole history of the existence of a right to uh, figure out how it applies in the present day. And the basically pro-gun control side of the argument saying, well, you just follow the obvious words of that statute. And the people who are more in favor of uh, liberal gun policies say, well, they didn't actually mean what they say in the words. Uh, maybe it was mistranslated, and uh, they really only meant to I thought the pro-gun
3: control people were making the argument, Mike, before the Supreme Court that there has never been a time in America when guns were not regulated one way or another
5: from the 1600s going forward. What they say about America is uh, not applicable to the statute of Northampton because it's Northampton and England uh, from 1328, Right, yeah. And of course, Uh, we we incorporated all the the common law from the. Right, but that's
3: that's what came into Virginia in in 1619, and that's, you know, it's been going ever since.
5: Yeah. In any event, the the argument uh, of the people who say that the uh, uh, statute only meant to restrict unusually frightening and uh, terrible weapons uh takes on a different context if you just consider that all those members of the parliament in 1328 had grown up in a world where a weapon meant a sword or a dagger or an arrow.
3: Right, wasn't that around and, the time that the crossbow came out and the pope issued this this statement that you know the the crossbow is now the ultimate weapon of mass destruction and any day it'll just you know the whole world will be destroyed.
5: Now that is some bull I don't know about. But, okay. And Context of the uh, Northampton statute. Remember that all these people have never seen firearms uh, when right. they are growing up. Right. And 14 years earlier, the first firearms and gunpowder had been exported into England from Kent Ah. So okay. you have this weapon which creates thunder, uh, fire like lightning or dragon's breath, and kills f- 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 someone dead at a great distance. I say this was the original terrifying weapon, and it's developed to the point where today you can have one lone nut killing 59 concertgoers and wounding 500 more. And I've talked to people in Britain who are afraid to bring their grandkids to America just because of our gun violence. So I think both sides can be reconciled if we just uh, accept that the terrifying weapons envision in this uh, statute were firearms hmm.
3: interesting i haven't i haven't read the statute i'll have to do that but mike thank you thanks for putting that on my radar screen i'm i, I need to i need to pay attention to it thank you very much lynn and el segundo hey lynn what's on your mind today
1: oh man i've been trying to get in on this topic um let me start with 1.7 trillion dollars uh which is now the uh, build back better plan well trillion is also the number of uh, the student debt load that we have in this country, as you've mentioned before, and 45 million borrowers are in trouble, but not only the borrowers, their family members and um, children are affected. And one uh, person quoted, uh, uh, suggested that a third of the country is affected by student loan debt. So I think um, Biden, instead of relying on cinema and uh, mansion to help him out with passing his 1.7 bill back better bill, with a stroke of a pen, he needs to forgive that debt. And now I know that's a heavy lift, but I think we all need to be focused on it and pushing him. And I this week I've been attending every day. A uh, meeting of the rulemaking committee from the Department of Education, and it's available to every member of the public. So I want to tag you, Tom, and all your listen, all our listeners, to go to this website, S- at .gov. No, no. It sh- it's like c but to me, this is incredible. It's all the constituents, like the two-year students, uh, the Lynn, two-year college. Lynn, colleges, give us the URL. U-R- I'm,
3: I'm sorry, we're going to hit a break here in a second. What's the URL?
1: I wish we could keep going. I'm going to call back on this, but it's ed, ed.gov, the website of the Education Department. Uh-huh. And then you look for the question, how do I find, find the topic, right. higher education rules, making committee. Okay. And you can sign up and attend. And it's going to be in December, too, the first week of December. Fascinating. Um, okay. Public comment, the most interesting part.
3: You got it. Lynn, thank you very much. By the way, Biden couldn't wipe out all student debt. He can't do the private student debt, but he could take a big chunk out of the student debt that is, uh, you know, to government lending agencies. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com Hartman.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
3: A couple of quick things I wanted to share with you, and then I'll get back to your phone calls. Here, is hate and violence becoming normal in America, and what can we do to stop it? The FBI this is the FBI has secret recordings of a white supremacist group. It's called the Base. Now, interestingly, the article doesn't point out, but I, you know, I think it's common knowledge that the word al, the phrase Al Qaeda, you know, Bin Laden's organization, that's Arabic, and it translates into the Base. And now we've got, in the United States, a white right-wing terrorist group called The Base. They've been recruiting members since 2018, it says. And this is one of the guys, Patrick Matthews. He says, we need to go back to the days of decimating blacks and getting rid of them where they stand. If you see this, a bunch of blacks sitting on some corner, you effing shoot them. And then another guy says, I need to claim my first victim. It's just that we can't live with ourselves if we don't get somebody's blood on our hands. No, seriously. Another guy says, you want to create effing instability while the Virginia situation is happening? Make some other things happen. Derail some rail lines. Shut down the highways. Shut down the rest of the roads. Kick off the economic collapse within the U.S. within a week after the boogaloo starts. I mean, this is serious stuff. Is hate and violence becoming the new normal in America? And if so, what can we do to stop it? Is merrick Garland up to the task, for that matter? And one last question for you, just, just to toss this out. there is a petition going around. It's got over 75,000 signatures so far, calling on Jill Biden to replace Jackie Kennedy's rose garden. You recall, there's this beautiful, elaborate, multicolored, just, you know, stunning rose garden that Jackie Kennedy planted back in 1962, I think it was. And Melania Trump pulled it all out and kind of paved over part of the, the Rose Garden and and made much of the rest of it just kind of like a crew cut. You know, it was like a butch cut, right? Uh, did they do it? Did, did did she do that because she was a fan of the Nazi aesthetic? I mean, she did grow up basically in a in a in a communist country in a, uh, a country that was in, in the orbit of the Soviet Union, which is very very right wing, very authoritarian. Or did she do it to get her name in the headlines? I I don't know the answer to the question. I suspect it's the former and not the latter. But I think it's time to restore Jackie Kennedy's Rose Garden. This was all, you know, now Melania's was done with private contributions. Jackie Kennedy's would have to be restored with private contributions. So anyhow, we'll see where that goes. So Russell in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Hey, Russell, what's on your mind today?
2: Hey, Tom. Hendersonville's a town of about 4,000 people, and they recently had a, a We the People rally. There's probably 300 people, 400 people in attendance, and mostly it was against masks and vaccines and everything, but they definitely had QAnon people and Trump people and whatnot. But um, what I thought was interesting is they had uh, the mayor, who's a pastor, he's running for mayor, excuse me, and he goes up and does a little speech, and he talks about, uh, you know, we need to put our God armor on, and um, you know, take your sword to smite down the believers and your 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 shield to, you know. Anyway, it was very strange. And I'm, you know, kind of a big guy, and I wear a lot of, uh, you know, military surplus sort of stuff. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go down there and see what this rally's all about. And I'm standing there, and a guy comes up to me, and he goes, Hey, listen, to." did you hear about the Antifa? And I was like, no, what? And he goes, yeah, they're going to be massing down by the freeway, and we're all going to go down and check it out. And I go, really, where did you hear about this? And he goes, well, it was on the website for the the thing, and there was a lady in the crowd who told me about it, and you want to come on down? And I, I said, no, no, you know, that's not really my thing. But uh, what I thought was interesting is a year before, another fellow who owns a business in Hendersonville, they had another rally. and he said the same thing. You know I was talking to him, and and so it's almost like you were saying there's a you know every time there's a, any kind of right- wing movement or right wing organization or something that has something to do with even our small town, there's this bot or something that comes into the the website and says, Oh, and Tifa's massing, and Tifa's massing at the yeah. freeways, and it's always at the freeway.
6: And
3: I'd, I'd virtually guarantee to you, Russell, that it is the Hendersonville, North Carolina, Facebook group. Have you checked that out?
2: No, no, I didn't. You know, I didn't look at the, I just saw the little signs around town, and my wife and I, you know, at first thought it might be something that had to do with, you know, we the people as in, you know, our left group more, right. you know, but then we, you know, we looked and, Saw, oh my god, it's going to be a, a right-wing rally, and she said, "I, you know, I just can't go. And I, I said, well, I have to go see what this is all about. And <laughs> so I didn't really look at the site. I just heard from the guy standing there.
3: Fascinating.
2: But it's just concerning that the whole, you know, I, I was sort of um, heartened in the fact that I went into town then after I saw the rally, and there was, you know, thousands of people going about their business and right, so there this was about ten percent of the
3: town Then it was it was a friend yeah,
2: right right but it's still you know scary because he was just on the edge you know the the preacher you know going to be mayor was just on the edge of being you know go and kill somebody i mean the way it sounded it was you know take your armor and smite the unbelievers and smite those Whoa. who make you do you know um you know masks and it
3: was just really, really. You know, I I I'm guessing probably more people have been killed in the name of religion than pretty much anything else over you know throughout history. Maybe land grabs, agricultural land, but you know they they've got to be competing with each other. Russell, I need to move well, along. Used as an
2: excuse. Yeah, but thanks <laughs> you know, for sharing. Even, uh, no matter who
3: it is. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing a grim story with us this morning. Uh, keep us up to date on how things are going in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Appreciate it. Mike in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today?
6: Well, I wanted to, to kind of bring you up to date on kind of on the on the GOP in this state and mm-hmm. how they think, you know. Did you have
3: elections in Colorado uh, d- on Tuesday? Yeah.
6: Yes. Okay. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Um, you know, Donald Trump, you know, tied, uh, you know, got beat here. Donald Trump tied ex-Senator Cory Gardner to him and got beat. And then we, there's been discussions, I think he probably brought it up, about, about uh, the GOP taking over. Uh, school districts. They had four uh, GOP-backed uh, candidates here in Fort Collins for the school district. They, they were all beaten but like red-headed stepchildren. Hmm. And the one, and and then they're thinking... Uh, Terrible this metaphor. Is willing, this is, well,
2: <laughs> yeah. I've heard but.
6: it. <laughs> Whatever.
2: Yeah. You know, no, I get uh, it.
6: Uh, and Lauren Boberts. This is Lauren Bobert's district, mm-hmm. Moffitt County, which is in the northwest part of the county. There was an article in the, in the uh, Post this morning. They voted down on Tuesday an act to defund to the EMS. Well, the EMS up there can't even, can't, can't even handle it. You're talking about right emergency,
3: emergency medical services? Yes. Well, yes. Why would somebody want to defund EMS?
6: Well, it's a conservative, anti-tax county. And, and, and so the they just don't want to pay the thing. taxes
3: for it, or or is it that they're concerned that the EMS people are, like, transporting people to the hospital for COVID?
6: I didn't really say. I think that they just, you know, they, I guess they think that the EMS is going to go to the, the Dollar Tree. Because, you know,
3: on the far fringe, there actually is this theory now that the, you shouldn't go to the hospital if you have COVID, they say, because that's where they kill people. I mean, it's it, that, it well, has become be. that insane. Could be.
6: Their response times right now are slow enough as it is, and they've had to call like ambulances in from Utah to help wow. them. And, and the person that is kind of head of the service says, "We'll we'll will stay as long as we can, but we may have to shut this thing down." And I mean, that's a that's a.
3: So did the a, so you know, did the effort to defund EMS in your county succeed or fail? It failed, right?
6: They're not defunding them; they're just not going to give them any more money. I see, and it's not enough to sustain them. I see, and I mean, you got a problem. That's the, the article said that Moffitt County, I think it's right. It's a, it's about as big as the state of Connecticut, it's got thirteen thousand oh. people in it, and so you've got some ranch that could be twenty miles off the, net, the nearest paved road. You you cut your leg off with a chainsaw. So you got a problem. Yeah, you got a problem. Yep. And I just don't see. it. I guess they just figure that yeah, we're giving too much money. We're paying enough in taxes, so we're not going to not going to fund the DM. I don't get it. it, it, it it's it, nuts. It, 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 boy,
3: I mean, I can't wrap my mind around that. No. It's nuts. Mike, thanks thanks for the report from Colorado. Wait, is that Bobert country? That's Warren Bobert's area. Yeah.
6: Yep. Yeah, that's
3: Warren. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. Crazy yeah. is yeah. as crazy does, I guess. Mike, thank you for the call. You're
2: listening to Tom Hartman.
3: Dr. Thomas LeCocq is on the line with us, a historian and associate professor of history at Grandview University, writes for TheBulwark.com and Grandview.edu, his uh, Twitter handle T-L-E-C-A-Q-U-E. Dr. LeCocq, welcome to the program. You have been doing a deep dive into uh, QAnon, and I was alarmed to hear that much like evangelical christianity has this notion that in the end times you know all but 144,000 Jews in Israel will have to be destroyed and and uh, you know there will be a bloodbath around the world that uh, precedes Jesus's return that QAnon is actually planning on killing me on killing liberals <laughs> and democrats around the world tell me about this Uh, So QAnon
7: uh, and evangelical Christianity have some similarities. Um, I think this largely comes from QAnon coming out of some of these spaces. And one of them is that there is a deep apocalyptic focus. On both of them. So, QAnon's origin, as as far as we can tell, comes from this throwaway statement about there's a storm coming that Trump made at at some meeting uh, with generals uh, years ago. And this this notion of the storm appears in other places in the kind of uh, ideas about revelation and kind of the apocalyptic times at at the end uh, at the end of the world. And what it morphs into is this idea that at the end then effectively QAnon ends with a partisan murder fantasy right where the secret war Donald Trump and others are waging against the deep state is one and all of their political opponents will be arrested variations on this theme because of course QAnon has been described as a, a big tent for every weird conspiracy you can possibly imagine and i think it's a pretty a pretty good way of, of phrasing it in the end they'll all be all of his political opponents which maybe all of us will be arrested Tried and either thrown in Guantanamo or um, hung or murdered in some other fashion. It's it's pretty grim stuff.
3: Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it. Uh, what what percentage of QAnon followers? I realize there's all these little subgroups. You know, we had this one little subgroup that showed up in Dallas yesterday, waiting for John Kennedy to show up. Uh, John Kennedy Jr. Um, is this is this the the fundamental foundational? you know widespread belief like you know in christianity the widespread belief jesus was the son of god but you know not everybody believes that you've got to do communion or have a pope or have a you know there's all these splinter groups as it were in christianity is, how similar is q to that and is this a central focus of all of them or just a minority
7: i think so i think there are degrees right i think the storm this kind of Endpoint uh, that that they're all following queue drops and waiting for the plan. All of this ends in the storm. How much of that is murdering people versus arresting people? How widespread the range of people they're arresting and/or murdering uh, is? I think that has. There are many different interpretations of that. Um, I think. I think the thing is that. The central tenet of QAnon that seems to be fairly widespread, both within people who would consider themselves part of it, whether or not they'd say that or not, is the idea that there's some kind of secret cabal of pedophiles running the government, right? And most of them want all of those people to die. The so fine, okay, if this is your premise that Satan-worshipping pre- uh, pedophiles run the government, which very quickly, I, I think you can very quickly trace ideas of kind of blood libel and medieval anti-Semitic sure. thought this deep into this. anti-Semitism Pure anti-Semitism, um, and none of them would, would say that they believe that part. Uh, well, some of them would say that they believe that part, but that's, that's the root of it. The question is, do they just want to round up and arrest slash murder those people, or how broadly does that spread? And I think that's where you find... Um, quite a range of belief
3: one none of, of which is comforting yeah i, I suppose uh, you know one of the things that that concerns me i uh, apparently i am discovering that i have a an old friend who has just fallen into this crazy space and i frankly don't know what to say to him you know he's also refusing to get vaccinated i mean you know he's mm-hmm. just gone the whole and, and he's in his 60s He's gone the whole, whole road, and he's a good guy. Uh, he's well-intentioned. He's, he's not you know one of these people who runs around with a gun and, and behaves like a crazy person. I'm struggling with it. I, I'm trying to figure out why he would join this. Was it a need for affiliation? Was, it, you know, was this exacerbated by being locked down for a year and a half, and hey, here's a group that says, ah, ignore the virus, you know, come together, let's have a party, uh, you know, get your natural immunity, you know all this kind of stuff. Or is this a new religion? I mean, are we going to be telling, ta- you know, back in the day, you know, Ellen White took all her, you know, followers up on top of the mountain in the 18-whatever-it-was and, you know, waited for the end of the world, the end of the world didn't happen, and that turned into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, among others. I mean, you know, a lot of religions have these kind of apocalyptic moments in their in their genesis. I believe Mormonism did as well. Is this yeah. going to turn into something that's that's more mainstream? Or- so-
7: I think millenarian religion has always existed, uh, well, I mean, Christianity is a millenarian religion, so it's always been there and it comes in waves. I think one of the areas that we have, that, that people have looked at this being similar to is kind of the uh, satanic panic of the 1980s, both in that ideologically, it's very clearly drawing on this route, but also the kind of widespread belief in tenets that are clearly wrong, right? Things that are clearly and objectively not happening, but that people have widespread beliefs about, about, about the and m- want to legislate about. thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of the range uh, of kind of the satanic ritual abuse and the idea that, like, Satanism is infiltrating our children. I mean, everything right. from kind of the panic over Dungeons & Dragons to the kindergartens to the, to the works. Yeah. So PRI had uh, a series of polls that they published in, I think, May, looking at kind of all things. that, like, aspects of QAnon belief have become very mainstream. But polling at the height of the satanic panic was also incredibly mainstream belief that these things were happening. And then they kind of fade away. Now, how much they actually fade or how much we stop talking about them, I don't know. I am hoping that QAnon is a contemporary flavor massively exacerbated by social media and the fact that we spend too much t- we've spent too much time at home, locked down on the internet, looking for community. And I mean, all of the reports coming out of Facebook about the way their algorithms has p- have pushed people into extremist spaces, I think are actually a really important thing to remember that, like the growth of groups like QAnon, these others, social media has made this problem so much worse. And they've done it in ways that they clearly knew were happening, but were making money off of. And so I'm hoping with a little bit of regulation, maybe you will stop having algorithms that are simply insisting people descend into more and more extremist spaces, and it will... Diminish QAnon's particular flavor.
8: Yeah, I those. think the key
7: is Q's quiet now, so QAnon might diminish. Do the ideas that Q has latched onto, that that idea, that that kind of movement has latched onto, do those ideas die? And that I feel less confident about.
3: In in an, unless another Q, you know, steps to the fore. Um, yes. Uh, tell me about how. Well, first of all, to my last question, I guess the the meta question to my question was if QAnon is fulfilling some deep or basic human need, is there some way that we can help these people get that need met without subscribing to uh, what looks to me like a Jim Jones kind of, you know, theology, uh, uh, a self-liquidating theology?
7: I mean, one of the things we have to hope for is that at some point enough people choose voluntarily to get vaccinated. And we can spread vaccinations in the world that people can leave their houses and leave these online communities and actually interact with each other safely again. And I think getting people to log off and stop being in these self-reinforcing extremist spaces is a very important part of that. I think that that is one of the things that has made this so big and so problematic is that as we spend less time with each other and more time online, it becomes much easier to have these kind of self-reinforcing spaces where this becomes your social community. And um, Vice News has done a couple of documentaries on QAnon, QAnon groups, where one of the things that come across that some of the big influences in, in QAnon are just profoundly lonely. And this is a place where they fit in and become important and have community together. And that's that's unfortunately part of the appeal of sticking around, even as it alienates their real relationships around them right
3: um, you, you too can become a media star in a, in in a space that will allow it whereas any other contemporary or or credible space would not allow you to be become a media star uh, yeah uh, la- last question here because we're running out of time but this kind of ideology this kind of religion is what led to the final solution it's, it's what led to six million dead jews i mean nazism had a huge religious component a huge cult component they had the yeah. castle in Wevelsburg. A friend of mine started writing a book about the religion of the Nazis. We actually broke in there and saw, them, mm. saw I mean, they, there, there was this huge... It, it was not that different, frankly, in many ways. Could we be looking at something like a final solution at, at, at mass murder coming out of this movement?
7: I don't think that QAnon is organized enough that this is the particular version that we have to worry about. The thing that concerns me is the way mainstream politicians, see, especially on the right, seem to feel so comfortable playing around the edges, using the language, refusing to disavow, and welcoming QAnon into their spaces, even as silent partners to their ascendancy, and seem to think that there are no consequences for allowing ever more extremist language to exist in the mainstream without denouncing it. So it's not it's not QAnon on a broader societal level I'm worried about, it's the way that we are once again allowing ever more extremist language and groups to be part of the mainstream, to be part of the dominant well, we, mainstream. We, we have at least
3: a dozen back. QAnon followers now who are uh, you know members of Congress, and, yes. and you know you had eight people who were part of the Capitol attack, which is probably mostly QAnon, um, who were just elected to public office. Yes. That seems to be growing. Am I missing That's something?
7: Uh, no, you're not, you're not missing something. Most of them are at relatively minor levels, or the ones who are the most egregious, like your Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like that, um, are media spectacles that we like to talk about but have limited power beyond the spectacle. The thing that worries me more is when they um, show up and get elected in state offices or when governors uh, welcome them to their office for the signing of bills, and they simply become part of... What, what we look at as being more normal right-wing politicians, welcoming them into that space. That's where I think the danger is. Yeah,
3: I get it. Dr. Thomas Lecoq, the historian and associate professor of history at Grandview University, writing over at thebulwark.com and grandview.edu. T-L-E-C-A-Q-U-E is the Twitter handle. Dr. Lecoq, thank you so much for dropping by. It's great talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Demagogue, The Life and Long Shadow of Joe McCarthy by Larry Tye. This is the preface. This is a book about America's love affair with bullies. Front and center is low blow Joe McCarthy, one of the most reviled figures in U.S. history. It's not often that a man's name becomes an ism. In this case, a synonym for reckless accusation, guilt by association, fear-mongering, and political double-dealing. In the early 1950s, the senator from Wisconsin promised America a holy war against a communist, quote, conspiracy so immense and an infamy so black as to dwarf any previous such venture in the history of man, end quote. While the conspiracy and infamy claims were a stretch, the body count was measurable. A TV broadcaster, a government engineer, current and former U.S. senators, and incalculable others who committed suicide to escape McCarthy and his warriors. Hundreds more whose careers and reputations were crushed, and the hundreds of thousands he browbeat into a tongue-tied silence. His targets all learned the futility of taking on a tyrant who recognized no restraints and would do anything, anything to win. To those of you who say that you do not like the rough tactics, any farm boy can tell you there is no dainty way of clubbing the fangs off a rattler or killing a skunk. It has been a bare knuckle job. It will continue as such. The farm bred soldier turned senator delighted in telling audiences about his hunt for pinkos and reds. I am afraid that I will have to blame some of the roughness in fighting the enemy to my training in the Marine Corps. We weren't taught to wear lace panties and fight with lace hankies, end quote. But this is more than a biography of a single bully. A uniquely American strain of demagoguery has pulsed through the nation's veins from its founding days. Although Senator McCarthy's drastic tactics and ethical indifference make him such an extraordinary case, he was hardly an original. We owe much to a lineup of zealots and dodgers who preceded him, from Huey, the kingfish long, to Boston, Boston's rascal king, Mayor James Michael Curley, and Michigan's Jew baiting radio preacher, Father Charles Coughlin. And he, in turn, became the empl- exemplar for nearly all the bullies who followed. Alabama Governor George Wallace, Nation of Islam Minister Louis Farrakhan, Ku Klux Klan Grand Resident David Duke, tapped all of them, tapped the McCarthy model, appealing to their countrymen's simmering fears of imagined subversions, even as they tried to escape the label of McCarthyism. All had big plans and glorified visions in which they played the crowning roles. Now that we at least have access to the full sweep of the records of Joe McCarthy's transgressions, we can see that his rise and reign also go a long way to explaining the astonishing ascension of President Donald J. Trump. While some seek comfort in the belief that Trump's election was an aberration, The truth is that he is the latest of a bipartisan queue of fanatics and hate peddlers who have tapped into America's deepest insecurities. In lieu of solutions, demagogues point fingers. Attacked, they aim a wrecking ball at their assailants. When one charge against a manufactured enemy is exposed as hollow, they lob a fresh bombshell. If the news is bad, they blame the newsman. McCarthy was neither the first nor the last, but he is the archetype And Trump owes much to McCarthy's playbook. That playbook is invariably the key. It transformed Joe McCarthy from a crank to one of the most menacing men in modern civilization. Armed with a similar blueprint, Donald Trump rose from sideshow to contender to commander in chief. Neither was sure of the formula in advance. Bullies seldom are, but they can sense in their bones how to keep the pot simmering and know when they achieve a critical mass suddenly and shockingly their scattershot bile is gaining traction and lacerating numerous non-combatants americans or enough of them to matter actually believed that mccarthy had the list that he claimed of 205 communists lurking in the state department and that trump's mexican wall would make the united states safe was it simply through endless mind-numbing repetition that these fictions became facts Candidate Trump boasted to supporters in 2016, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. 62 years before, polling pioneer George Gallup penned a chillingly similar prediction about Joe McCarthy's minions. Even if it were well known that McCarthy had killed five innocent children, they would probably go along with him. At the time when McCarthy drafted his poisonous script, Few people knew the Wisconsin native's full story. America got its best look at the single-minded senator in his public and prodigiously publicized hearings when he targeted alleged Soviet infiltration of the Foreign Service, the Voice of America, and in a step too far, the mighty US military. Have you no sense of decency, sir, at long last? The Army's special counsel famously asked him on live television in the spring of 1954. Echoing what much of the nation was thinking by then. The book Demagogue, The Life and Long Shadow of Joe McCarthy by Larry Tye.
8: Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
3: Dave in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today?
9: I didn't want to vote in the New Jersey governor election. I was busy. I had a lot of work. I got to pay bills, but I went out and I voted for Bill, for Phil Murphy because he's progressive. I don't think I would have gone out if I lived in Virginia. Um,
3: because Terry McAuliffe I, is just another corporate dam, you mean?
9: Yeah, and my point is is that the other side is filled with um, no-nothings and authoritarians, and they always come out. Yeah. Um, I think our side, to get people like me and people working hard and even um, minorities, black hispanics and asians to get out is you got to be progressive you got to stand stand up and i'm happy to see that um forget the progressive the head of the caucus he, he oh, told us yeah, he said that i'm not hearing i'm not hearing that uh, my constituents are unhappy with progressivism i'm hearing the opposite right And he put the CNN person in a place, and I was very happy to see that. And I think that's the attitude we got to have. we got to move these policies. I mean, you take everything in history. You take the Weimar Republic. They were the first de-instituted unemployment in the 20s. The only reason that the Nazis were able to come into power was because the Great Depression hit. Had that not hit and the Weimar Republic had continued their progressive policies, we probably wouldn't have had the Second World War.
3: I agree, Bye. although I, I would say that World War I was a big variable, you know, and not and, and Germany's defeat in it. But, Dave, I, you know, if I could speak to the larger point that you're raising, you know, everybody's all hysterical about Terry McAuliffe losing in Virginia and, and you know, breathing a sigh of relief because people like you voted in New Jersey and Phil Murthy uh, won re election. But I think the larger point is that in these off, off year elections, and even in off year elections, What you find out is the size of the base of the two parties and what animates those bases. And what this election, in my opinion, taught me, and I'd love to hear your your reaction to this, what what I learned from this is that the Democratic base in Virginia wants a genuine progressive, and they didn't have one, and so they didn't show up. The Republican base wanted a right-wing racist neo-fascist uh, they got one and they did show up. Same thing in New Jersey. The Democratic base wanted a progressive and they got one in Phil Murphy. And so they did show up, which was totally countercyclical. This is the first time that that had happened since the 1980s, whereas the Republican base wanted a right wing fascist and they got one. Um, and they did show up, but, hey, there were more Democrats in the progressive base. The, the media deals with this as if we're looking at what's the size of the base of the Democratic Party in Virginia? Oh, it must be smaller than the base of the Republican Party. No, not true. It's not smaller. It's just not energized by having a candidate who's not a genuine progressive. Whereas in New Jersey, you had an actual progressive, and that did energize the Democratic base, and they did show up. And the lesson Democrats in the media should be taking from this is that if Democrats want to start winning elections they need to start putting up progressive candidates. What say you, Dave?
9: Well I'd go a step further. I agree with everything you said, but I go a step further. That the progressives actually have to start winning and getting policies put into place, which
8: oh, yeah. which uh, Murphy's done.
9: He, he's extended he extended the eviction moratorium. He got more money um, this doesn't apply to me, but he got more money to to uh, poorer tenants we 're supposed to have some of the biggest evictions in the country yeah. and he I feel he's doing stuff to help oh. um, i I think I, you know i don't think there's been a radical takeover of a country that had progressive policies throughout history
3: I think you're uh, right. the beginning
9: of World War one had had to do with uh, to, you know, to, it had to do with capitalists in England and Europe being scared of... Well, my uh, point of
3: World War One was that Hitler's main sales pitch that he laid out in Mein Kampf and that he hammered on, you know, as he was trying to come back to power after he got out of jail uh, in 23, I think it was, or maybe 24, and, and, you know, leading up to 1932, was that there was a fifth column within Germany that stabbed them in the back, that Germany was actually winning World War One. And that the politicians in Germany decided to surrender when there was no need to surrender, and that was the knife in the back that Hitler famously talked about. Um, you know, the the hey, my, enemy my within. My point is,
9: if my point is, if the Weimar Republic had continued and had, they had unemployment insurance before us, and we weren't, and you we weren't hit with the Great Depression. Yeah. Um, there wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been the nancy takeoff no one would have listened to him
3: yeah i you know i'm not sure that unemployment insurance would have been the, the key to it but it would have been a piece of it you're absolutely right and we didn't get that until the early 1930s from franklin roosevelt
9: right you had it before us that's my point
3: yeah yeah uh, more than a decade before yeah amen dave dave thanks a lot for the call it's great to hear from you i i love hearing from informed voters kirk in bremerton washington hey kirk what's on your mind today
5: hey tom that last conversation leads perfectly into what i want to ask you a question i want to ask you i want to throw something out to the listeners before you answer the question my question is which contributed more to tuesday's debacle in virginia mansion and cinema stifling the 2020 election mandate or running a greasy clinton retread like terry mcauliffe and it may be the answer may be not exactly one or the other, but a, like a mix of the two, and I'd be interested to hear what your take on the percentage might be. The shout-out I want to give is to ask people to call their senator today and ask them to oppose the nomination of another greasy Clinton retread, Rahm Emanuel, as ambassador to Japan. Yeah. Thanks, Tom.
3: Yeah, I'm with you on that, Kirk. And I would say it was probably 60-40. 60 on the greasy side, 40 on the cinema mansion didn't, you know, prevented us from having any victory side. But, yeah, I'm with you. Kirk, thank you. In Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Hey, Denise, what's on your mind today?
8: Hi, sir. I was just, I wanted to comment on the, um, the gentleman that called about the Virginia election mm-hmm. and why the progressive didn't come out. And I was thinking that they should have, because what they got, they're going to have sticker shock. I mean, they lost the attorney general. They lost the lieutenant the governor. They lost the House. So they're going to be in sticker shock. Yeah, I mean they have had. They're just honestly, it's going to be a, a bloodbath.
3: It's going to be know, a real what crisis.
8: Used to, yeah, but what they were used to with uh, Northam, and what they could have had with Terry. I mean, he he was a whole lot better than what they got. Yep. And I think sometimes, like the um, COVID virus, you don't get it
3: for yourself; you get it for the community. Mm-hmm.
8: And I think they really shot themselves in the foot. I'm but, with you. Sir, thank you so much for um, taking my call.
3: Sure, uh-huh. thank you, Denise. Okay. But just just uh-huh. just, just to just to make my point again, I, I I think that, you know, both New Jersey and Virginia, if they had followed the tradition of every election going all the way back to the 1980s, would have gone to Republicans, both of them, and only Virginia did, and that's actually a big victory for us, as as Rachel Maddow was pointing out, and I completely agree. But then that raises the question, why? Why didn't Virginia do the same thing that New Jersey did? And I think that, you know, these off-off-year elections or even off-year elections, the ones, you know, every 2 years rather than every, you know, the year after an election, uh, Virginia and New Jersey are kind of anomalous in this, but I think that these off-off-year elections are nothing more than a demonstration of the engagement of the Democratic and Republican party bases. And the Republican parties had candidates in both those states that were sufficiently engaging for their base that they showed up in large numbers and in Virginia in large enough numbers to win the election. Whereas the Democrats ran a candidate in New Jersey, you know, Phil Murphy, who is a progressive, who was sufficiently exciting that people got up and, and voted for him, as an earlier caller pointed out. Um, not so much so in Virginia, in my humble opinion. But, you know, I I think that's the lesson we should be taking from it. It's not the lesson you're going to hear in corporate media, though, because corporate media just doesn't like progressives. I mean, it's right, you know, if you want to go right down to it. So Maria in Burnham Wood, Wisconsin. Hey, Maria, what's on your mind?
8: Yeah. Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. It probably didn't help that the Virginia Democratic Party and McCullough's campaign were... uh, Sending out flyers to get out the vote for Trump
3: supporters. What do you mean?
8: The Democratic Party of Virginia sponsored a flyer tying Trump to Youngkin.
3: Oh, and you think that that animated Trump supporters rather than turning yeah, off. Yeah.
8: <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, McCall's whole thing was, you know, my opponent is a Trumper, even though he won't admit it.
3: Right. Yeah, but this guy yeah. was just, you know, he was just a multimillionaire businessman who used to run the Carlisle Group, you know, one of the big defense contracting groups. You know, he's slimy, but he's not evil. I mean, if they're going to go after him, frankly, they should have gone after him for saying climate change isn't man-made. I mean, that, that would have been a much bigger one. But instead, by yeah, he, highlighting, you know, his past support of Donald Trump, I think, I think you're right. What they did is they we brought him the, in Trump. the foot. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. They brought up the animated Trump base.
8: the Trump base, who yeah. probably wouldn't have turned out for him otherwise, because he is just a corporate Republican.
3: There you go, Maria. Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> Excellent point. I got to move along, but thank you for the call, Dale in Rockford, Illinois. Got a quick one.
8: Hi, Tom. Thanks for all you do. I think your show's great. I'm concerned about the a huge number of states passing restrictive voter laws, and here's my idea. If nationally we could go with a thumbprint instead of a signature, signatures change as we age, thumbprints don't. So that would be great if everybody could jump on that
3: idea. Yeah, although signatures typically don't change that much. And and signatures are really hard to fake. I get what you're saying, though. You're going to get a lot of pushback against the thumbprint, though, because then people are going to go, Boy, you want to fingerprint me? Oh, that's a huge idea but I I understand what you're saying, and and I sympathize with your concern that we've got to do something. Dale, thank you. Thank you so much for the call. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, every single one of us. Make sure you're registered to vote. Get ready, right? Big election coming. So get out there, get active, tag your end.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman.